Dr. Uh, James Dobson, you know that name, right? Dr. Dobson? <clears throat> shares uh, this testimony of his <clears throat> paternal grandmother, Juanita Dobson. This is the grandmother on his father's side. She was married to a man's man. A man's man. A six foot four railroad conductor. This man had never been physically ill in his entire life. Going to his job every day, giving a hard day's work. He was a good and moral man. As good and moral as anyone else. <clears throat> but he was spiritually dead. And saw nothing he needed <clears throat> from God or from the church. Yes, he let Juanita go to church and participate in the activities there. But he never went and did not want anyone to, draw, to try to get him to go. Juanita knew what he needed. But she never said anything to him. She simply prayed. Every day she prayed. Regularly, she fasted and prayed for her husband's salvation, but she saw no evidence of change. Nothing gave her reason to think her prayers were being answered. But still, she prayed. Decades passed. And at the age of 69, he still showed no signs of listening to God. Then he suffered a stroke. He became partially paralyzed and bedridden. And he was devastated. One afternoon, his daughter carried out her, her daily ritual of straightening the bed, giving him his medicines, and seeing whatever else she could do to cheer him up and comfort him. Suddenly, she realized... He was crying. Gulping down her shock because she had never seen a tear fall from his cheek. She bent over and asked, Daddy, what's wrong? Honey, go get your mother, he replied. The faithful Juanita ran up the stairs as fast as her legs could carry her. She took his outstretched hand and heard him say, I know I'm going to die. And I'm not afraid of death. But it's so dark. It's so dark. Will you pray for me? Words she had waited 40 years to hear. She called to heaven for her husband and he accepted Jesus as his personal Lord and Savior. Her heart sang knowing she was joining a heavenly chorus 
over a lost sinner who was saved. Two weeks later, he died. Saying what Jesus meant to him. Later, his devoted prayer champion wife joined him in heaven where he was. Because she never gave up in her dedication to seeking the lost. This morning, we remember Palm Sunday, where almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus entered Jerusalem for the last time. A city he had entered many times since the age of 12. But this time, this time, for the first time, Jesus publicly reveals he is the king. The king on a mission to seek and to save the lost. We are stepping away from our study in Revelation. And for the next two Sundays, beginning this morning, we're going to spend our time in the Gospel of Luke. A favorite book of mine. For Luke is the Paul Harvey. He's the Paul Harvey of Gospel writers. Giving his Gentile readers the rest of the story. And quite frankly, we need it. We need the rest of the story. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And before we get to our main passage, I need to set this up a bit. Okay? Jesus... was making his way up a mountain road. Passing through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. And on the road, he met a little man named Zacchaeus. Remember the name? Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector a supervisor of tax collectors, considered a traitor, despised and hated by his own people because he collected money for the Romans. And on top of that, he took a little extra for himself as a fringe benefit. Well, Jesus was nothing like Zacchaeus. And people were shocked that Jesus would even give this guy a time of day. But Jesus had a clear and divine mission to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus was lost and Jesus sought him out and through this unexpected encounter, Zacchaeus trusted Jesus as his Savior. And his life was dramatically changed for he found a new treasure. A treasure that's only found in Jesus Christ. And as evidence of his changed heart, he promised to make restitution to all that he had wronged. After this encounter with Zacchaeus, with a large crowd around him, Jesus went on to tell the people a parable because he was near Jerusalem and he knew the people believed 
that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. Immediately. The people were on high alert and thought that Jesus was about to be declared the king. And they believed he would kick out the Roman intruders with his miraculous powers. He would take charge, fix all their problems, all of them, and bring peace to the land. But that wasn't his mission, at least not yet. Yes, at his second coming, and we have talked about that through our study in Revelation, Jesus will do these things, but not now. Not now. Jesus did come to bring peace, but not peace to the land, not an outward peace. Rather, a peace that flows from within. A peace that comes through a right relationship with God. The people had wrong expectations about Jesus. They were hoping He would be their king and establish His earthly kingdom right then and there. Jesus knew what they were thinking. He knew this. And so He sought to clarify things with a parable. A parable they would not understand until later. In his parable, Jesus tells the crowd that a man of noble birth prepared to take a journey to a far away land to become a king. And in preparation for his long journey, this nobleman gathers ten of his servants, gives them an equal sum of money, and tells them to put their money to work while he is away. Later, the moment came when the king returned. And in this parable, Jesus explained that some of his servants were found to be faithful and they were rewarded. While one servant in particular, who had a distorted view of his master, was unfaithful. The nobleman in this parable represented Jesus. And this journey to a faraway land was his upcoming death and resurrection and ascension into heaven. And this parable revealed two things. First, contrary to the expectations of those who followed him, Jesus could not stay with them. He had to leave for a time before returning as the king to establish his earthly kingdom. And secondly, while he is away, his servants are to be faithful. When the king is watching, everyone seems faithful. But it's while the king is away that true faithfulness is revealed. And as expected, some will be faithful and some will not. This parable is still relevant 
for you and me today because we are living in the period while our master is away. And while he is away, we must all be faithful, giving our very best until Jesus returns as he promised. There is a legend about an ancient village in Spain. The villagers learned that the king would pay a visit. In a thousand years, a king had never come to that village. Excitement grew. We must throw a big celebration, said the villagers. But it was a poor village. And there weren't many resources. However, someone came up with a great idea. Since many of the villagers made their own wines, the idea was that everyone in the village would bring a large cup of their very best wine. Take it to the town square and they would pour it into a large vat and offer it to the king for his pleasure. When the king draws wine to drink, they hoped it would be the very best wine he had ever tasted. The day before the king's arrival, hundreds of people lined up to make their wine offering to the honored guest. They climbed a a small stairway and poured their gift through a small opening at the top of the vat. Finally, the vat was full. The king arrived. He was escorted to this town square, given a silver cup, and was encouraged to draw some wine, which represented the best the villagers had to offer. He placed the cup under the spigot, turned the handle, And the only thing that came out was water. You see, every villager thought this. With so many cups of great great wine in the vat, I'll withhold my wine and substitute it with water. The king will never know. Everyone had the same thought. Everybody assumed everybody else would be faithful and do their part. And in the end, nobody was faithful. And the king was greatly dishonored with nothing but a cup of water. Just as we sung, Jesus will return as he promised. The king is coming. And I hope, I pray, he finds you and me faithful in what he has tasked us to do. Now we move to another story. A story so important that God gave prophecies about it in Daniel, in Zechariah, and in the Psalms. A story that begins in Luke chapter 19, verse 28. I think you might have it up on the screen. Luke starts by telling us after he said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. 
after Jesus gave his parable, he continued on towards Jerusalem to begin the Passover celebration. A yearly celebration that reminded the Jewish people of their deliverance from bondage and slavery in Egypt. You know the story. Celebrating Passover in Jerusalem was a very special time for devout Jews. As thousands and thousands of them from all over the world arrived in their holy city, more than tripling the population. As you might imagine, at this particular time, this Passover celebration held a special significance for the Jews because they were currently in bondage to Rome. And they wanted to be delivered by God once again. The moment seemed right for their deliverance. God had to come through for them. And many had hoped it was Jesus who would bring this about. They had hoped that Jesus was the promised Messiah, their deliverer. And he was, but not like they had expected. Then Luke continues with the story, beginning with verse 29. We are told, when he approached Bethphage and Bethany, near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you. There, as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus, and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. Stop there. We're told that, that Jesus and his disciples walked towards Jerusalem from the east, and they approached the nearby villages of Bethphage and Bethany. They were about two miles, two miles from Jerusalem, and we're told that Jesus was about to do something he had never done before publicly. Something he had repeatedly cautioned others to do for him. He was going to publicly reveal the secret. He is the Messiah they've been waiting for. He is the true King. So Jesus sends two of his disciples ahead to find a colt. A young unridden donkey. Jesus tells his disciples to untie the colt. And if anyone asks what you're doing, they are to say the Lord has need of it. And of course it played out exactly as Jesus said it would. Now Matthew's gospel indicates that the mother donkey of the colt was brought by the disciples as well. So how do we explain the difference here? My guess is, Mama Donkey was just following her natural instincts and had no intention of being separated from her youngster. So she simply tagged along. Make sense? You know, there seems to be a lot of attention 
given by all four gospel writers about the need for this young donkey. So what's up with the donkey? Because up to this point, Jesus has either been walking or sailing wherever he went. So why does he need a donkey now when he's only two miles away from Jerusalem? There are two things I want to point out regarding the need for this donkey. First, most people today think of a donkey as being nothing but a humble beast of burden. A pack animal, right? A pack animal. But in Jewish history, a donkey was looked upon as an animal fit for a king. In the ancient Middle Eastern world, kings rode great horses, sometimes pulling a chariot to show off their power when they rode to war. But, kings rode donkeys if they came in peace. And that's what Jesus is doing here. One day, Jesus will come on a great white horse for a battle. But here, Jesus rides a humble donkey for peace. Secondly, Jesus needed the donkey so that he might fulfill Old Testament prophecy. For example, in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, we are told, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion! Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now Luke does not mention this prophecy, but both Matthew and John do. And I suspect the reason for this is because Luke was written to a Gentile audience. And this Old Testament prophecy may not have resonated with this audience. Hopefully that makes sense. So without saying a word, Jesus is already beginning to publicly reveal his identity and status. He is the king, riding on a king's mount to make his grand entrance. And then Luke tells us this in verse 36. I love this verse. And as he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. We're told that many people spread their coats on the road, and we know that others laid down palm branches, which was part of a a traditional Jewish reception for royalty. It was a sign of submission and adoration, similar to our rolling out the red carpet. Same, Same context. Again, this is a response fit for a king. I have read this passage many times, just like many of you. But this time when I read it, my mind raced to something spoken by King David in 1 Chronicles chapter 21. King David 
had disobeyed God by taking a census of the people. Remember that? He took a census of the people. In essence, David was counting on men rather than counting on God. And as a consequence of his disobedience, a plague came upon Israel and 70,000 men were killed. Then there came a point where God instructed the angel who was carrying out this destruction to stop. And the angel was left standing with his sword drawn at a threshing floor belonging to a farmer named Ornan. If you don't know, a threshing floor is a kind of a high place where the wind can come across, and it's a threshing floor is used to separate the wheat from the chaff. Okay? God told David to build an altar to the Lord on this threshing floor because God wanted to meet David there in worship. And David did not want to see this plague again. So David met with Ornan about acquiring this property. Ornan, who wasn't even an Israelite, wanted to give it to David. Plus all the wood he would need. Plus his oxen for a a meat offering. Whatever David needed, Ornan was willing to give it. And it would have been easy for David to accept Ornan's generosity. But here is his reply in verse 24. I love this. But King David said to Ornan, No. I will surely buy it for the full price. For I will not take what is yours for the Lord or offer a burnt offering which costs me nothing. I will offer nothing that costs me nothing. That was deep. David would not give anything to the Lord that cost him nothing. Meaning, David had made up his mind he would give God his best. True worship of God. True love for him will generally cost you something. And if it costs you nothing, if it costs you nothing, then what is it really worth to you? Oftentimes, and I'm I'm raising my hand first, Oftentimes, we give God our leftovers. We serve Him only when it is easy and convenient. We pray and we read His Word when we can find the time. And using the prior illustration. We are prone to pour water into the vat instead of our our very best wine. When I read David's words, I had to ask myself, how can I cry out to God to be my everything? If I am unwilling to sacrifice anything. You 
You've heard me pray several times, Lord, be my everything. Right? How can I cry out to Him, be my everything, if I am unwilling to sacrifice anything? Well, David purchased Ornan's threshing floor at the full price to build an altar to worship God. And if you don't know, it was the very spot where Abraham had offered up his son Isaac. And it was on this very site, this threshing floor, that King Solomon, David's son, would later build the temple in Jerusalem. These people on the road leading into Jerusalem. Leading to the temple in Jerusalem. Were tossing their coats on the ground. A coat that might not be worth much after donkeys walk over them. Many of these people were poor. And their coats were their only possession. But it was seen they were more interested in praise and worship than their coats. It cost them something. It cost them something. They made a sacrifice to the king. A king who in just a matter of days would sacrifice his very life for them. Then beginning in verse 37, we are told, as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had only known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace. But now they have been hidden from your eyes. The crowd was excited. Shouting for joy, praising God. And take note that as the people shout, they call Jesus the King. This is the only time that Jesus permitted a public celebration on his behalf. Jesus is the king riding on a young donkey and he comes to bring peace to his people. But look carefully at verse 41. As Jesus approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it. And he said, If only you had known. Jesus came to bring peace 
But the people did not understand the sacrifice that makes for peace. They believed Jesus will bring peace by setting all things straight around them. But He came to bring peace within them. In their hearts. They do not understand that Jesus is a peace offering. Think about it. He is a peace offering sent by a holy and loving God to a fallen people who have gone away from Him. God desired to reconcile with His people who had gone astray. But sadly, the religious leaders would rally the people of Jerusalem to reject that peace offering. Because they would reject Jesus. And a few days later, the people would stand at the Lord's trial before Pontius Pilate and declare, we have no king but Caesar. Almost 2,000 years ago, on Palm Sunday, Jesus entered Jerusalem as the king on a mission to seek and to save the lost. And a few days later, he would willingly sacrifice his life on a cross. His obedience to the Father would cost him everything. So that, for those who trust him, they could have peace with God and eternal life. And in light of what Jesus has done on our behalf, in light of what He has done on our behalf, it is only reasonable, only reasonable, that the least we can do is to say to Him with all sincerity, Here I am, Lord. All of me. Do with me what you will. That is the only reasonable response. Here I am, Lord, all of me. Do with me as you will. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time in your word. I love this story. I thank you that you were obedient to your Father. In humility, you entered Jerusalem knowing full well what you were about to experience. And you entered into Jerusalem anyway. knowing it would cost you everything because we were valuable and precious in your sight. You loved us that much. You loved us that much. Thank you for being the peace offering so that we might be reconciled, made right with God, and have peace with Him. Lord, I pray You'd move amongst us. Open our hearts. Help us, Lord, to be the kind of people You want us to be 
to give our very best. To give our very best. For you are worthy. I thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus entered Jerusalem to bring peace. That word peace means a few things in the Bible. But in context, peace means joining that which has been separated. That's what peace means. Joining that which has been separated. By nature, we are separated from God. Like the Bible says, to be blunt, we are hostile towards God. That's the reality of it. We are hostile towards Him. And in spite of that hostility towards God, Even though we were yet sinners. Raising our fists at him. While we were yet sinners. While we were yet sinners. The Bible teaches. That God sent his son. And it cost him everything. Everything to save us. I was thinking about the thing David said. In any in any meaningful think about this, especially parents. Any meaningful relationship you have will cost you something. Whether it be time, whether it be energy, whether it be talents and abilities, whether it be resources, any meaningful relationship will cost you something. Especially kids. Amen. Yeah, but, but it's true. And if it costs you nothing, then the question is, how meaningful is it to you then? How meaningful are they to you? Every meaningful relationship is going to cost you something. What's that tell me about him? It costs him everything. What does that say about me? I am precious. You are precious. You are highly valued by God because it cost him everything. He was willing to pay it. Do you you see the connection there? He was willing to pay the full price. He loves us that much. That's that's mind-boggling. That's amazing to me. But it is a God's honest truth. He is madly in love with us. And He came to bring peace. And it has to start here. Before it has any impact out here. He came to bring peace. Maybe you're here this morning... And there's no peace. Maybe it's because you don't know God. Very possible. 
I would love to introduce you to him. Because he loves you. Maybe you're looking for a church home. Someplace you can call home. We'd love to have you here. Love for you to join us. Maybe there's something else going on. You want somebody to pray for you. I would love to pray for you. However you feel led this morning. However you feel led. I just ask that you be obedient to him. That's the least you can do. That's the least you can do. Thank you. Peggy, come on over. This is your first Sunday with us, isn't it? It is. It's our first Sunday. Uh, Peggy, this is Peggy Thompson. Right. And we've been uh, interacting uh, via text, email. And uh, then I met her for the first time this Monday. And I've already had to chastise her once. Yes, I, I, hated, I hated to do it, but I had to. She came from Virginia uh, all the way over here. And I, I'm pretty sure I told her to bring some Carolina barbecue, which she just didn't do. And so, so we've already started off on a bad foot. <laughs> no, no, and she's a hugger, so I love this lady. But anyway, she wants to uh, to make this her home church. And uh, so uh, she knows Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. She's been baptized. And so she, and what also impresses me too, you know, she told me, she goes, I don't want to come to a place where I just sit. That's what she told me. I want to go to a place where I can serve. And uh, that just really touches my heart. That's something. So uh, even though she didn't bring Carolina barbecue, uh, I'm still going to offer her. I'm still going to offer to the church. So those who are in favor of uh, accepting uh, Peggy into our our fellowship, can I get an amen? Amen. Okay. There's no no opposed. So thank you. Let me uh, close us in, uh, in prayer. I want to pray for our offering. Just a reminder that our offering baskets are, are back there, and we surely appreciate uh, any gifts that you can give us. And then also I want to just pray for our fellowship uh, afterward as well. So, Father, I thank you so much for bringing us here this morning. This morning, I pray, Lord God, that uh, you were honored and glorified. And, Lord God, I pray that whatever was said here, that we would take it beyond these doors. Take it beyond these doors and impact those around us, Father. Help us, Lord God, to give us our best, for you gave us yours. You gave us Jesus. Father, I pray, Lord God, for our offering this morning, that you would just uh, bless to give her, bless to gift. Pray, Lord God, we'd be cheerful givers uh, for you. And then, Lord, also, I pray for our fellowship afterwards. I just pray, Lord, it would be sweet. Uh, and, and we would just come to just to, to learn and to know and make connections and love one another. Bless the food that's been prepared and brought. Uh, bless those who have, who have brought it, Lord God, and bless it to our bodies. I thank you, Father, for who you are and what you've done. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.